let me introduce you to your next favorite true crime podcast, Crime Salad. Ashley and Ricky, a husband and wife team, go beyond telling crime stories. They dive into the darkest corners of human nature with the ultimate goal of preventing future tragedies. Together, they shine a relentless spotlight on critical issues like relationship violence and domestic abuse, inviting you to explore the complexities of these societal challenges. Now, let us set the scene for a recent Crime Salad episode, which is titled The Search for Haley Cummings. The disappearance of a five-year-old girl leaves the Florida community in disbelief. In the early morning hours of the night, an open back door remained eerily left open where Haley was staying. A wave of dread swept through the community and the family as the unimaginable happened. Was this the work of a kidnapper, or did the little girl wander off? The search for Haley brought a community together in the darkest of times. Since 2019, Ashley and Ricky, the crime salad duo, have continued to deliver stories that are not only fascinating and well-researched, but also have a strong voice for change and justice. So grab your headphones and prepare to be pulled into a world where mystery meets humanity. Make sure to tune in to Crime Salad wherever you find your podcasts and join a growing community of listeners who tune in every week. And now back to your regularly scheduled haunting. Let's get haunted with your host, Nat Strong and Allie. Welcome back, guys, to the second episode of season five. It is our second episode of 2023, and this is episode 134 of the world famous Let's Get Haunted podcast. Yeah, we are world famous, aren't we? Somewhere in the world. If you would have told me when I was like a young tot, you know, in fourth grade or whatever, hey, when you get older, you're going to have a world famous paranormal podcast. I would have been like, what is that? Because podcasts didn't exist. Yeah, (laughs) I probably would have been angry because I would have been like, why are you talking to me? Future person (laughs) claiming to be me like this is... I don't believe you. Step away. Right. If this is your first time listening to the podcast and you want to get directly to the story, you can open up our show notes. The very first sentence in all caps will tell you exactly what time to skip to to get straight to the story. Otherwise, Allie and I do a little personal haunting section in the beginning where we just kind of chit chat, catch up, and then we also thank our donors. So open up those show notes if you want to skip. I also wanted to say that the audio quality on this episode isn't exactly exactly 100%. There's a little bit of an echo, especially on my side. That is because I have not soundproofed my recording studio in Atlanta just yet. However, by the time you hear the next episode, it will be completely soundproofed. So I just wanted to say I did my best to edit it and make it listenable, but please don't judge me. We love you guys and sorry. But also, you're welcome. I actually had like the weirdest set of dreams last night. One of them was about my future self visiting the past to like warn me about something. It was weird. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, that part's not that interesting. Well, maybe it is interesting. So as I've talked about on the show before, I am a mushroom advocate. (laughs) So I've been doing like some microdosing on and off or whatever, which is where you take a tiny amount, sort of, I don't know, fucking Google it, guys. I'm not a scientist. So I think since I've been doing that, my dreams have gotten so much more vivid and I feel so much more creative. I don't know. So maybe that has something to do with it. That part of the dream is not that cool. But the real personal haunting is, do you remember Liam Hemsworth, like Miley Cyrus's ex? Yes, I do. I had like the weirdest dream where I, it was like a sex dream about him, but we didn't actually get no. the sex. We were just like flirting the whole time. And when I woke up, I was like, oh my God, I am so starved of like flirting with someone that I literally just had an erotic dream, which was just me <laughs> and Miley Cyrus's ex, like literally just talking to each other. Like that's all we were doing. I do feel <laughs> like though, that is the epitome of a sex dream, right? It's like all foreplay and no payoff because it's not real but I always like gain sentience in the middle of those like I'll always be like wait a minute this is a dream and then like everything disappears and suddenly I'm in like a dark staircase trying to escape a haunted mansion my subconscious just hates me do you have any personal hauntings you would like to share I'm trying to think I've I can't think of anything right now, but I'm sure halfway through whatever spooky shit you're going to tell me, I'm suddenly going to be like, wait a minute, interrupt everything. Let me tell you about a minor inconvenience that happened to me. But right now I can't think of anything. I'm just very excited to be back for season five. Uh, Natalia, you and I were talking um, after last episode about how we're both feeling like some weird pressure Mm. for this season and we like can't really figure out why. And so that's been mostly what has been haunted this month is me trying to write episodes and just feeling like this isn't good enough or I gotta you know do this or that I gotta improve it in this manner or like oh what if somebody fact checks me and actually the ghost wasn't wearing a cloak it was wearing a petticoat that looked like a cloak you know what I mean like I'm starting to have like these illogical fears of like how can you fact check a ghost like it just is whatever is written in the mildly interesting.com article that I'm reading. I have a solution to this whole fact-checking thing. So there's this guy that lives with us right now. He's a full-grown man. His name is... <laughs> and he is in a transitional period of his life and he's a good friend of my fiance. So, you know, we're like, well, you can stay at our house while you figure things out. He went through a divorce. He lost his job. He's like, you know what I mean? Like he's going through a time. And he's great to have around the house because the child loves him. He waters the plants. You know, he's just like a good energy. Now, what if someone like is just our facts checker and then we're just like, hey, if something's wrong, be mad at because he's the fact checker. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we just have to right, redistribute right. the blame. And then right now I feel like so much pressure is just because it's just you and I. That's true. Maybe we're getting too big. Maybe we need to make it so big that we can't fail. We need 50 employees. This is what, okay, this is what you suggested, uh, I believe in season two uh, on the show. I don't forget which episode. You were like, hey, what if we have like a pretend make-believe uh, like administrative office oh. manager professional that like right. answers our emails and stuff. And it, the whole it's time just it's us. just us. Yeah. But we're signing it like 
Bianca Cronkshankworth the third and then like nobody gets to be mad at us because we can just be like oh so sorry Bianca didn't tell us what was going on oh my god okay you guys if you have an idea of what our fake intern administrative assistant should be (laughs) named go ahead and shout it out and you know what will be so great is that like our OG listeners like come in the future seasons and episodes when like people who don't know us inadvertently try to cancel us we'll put out like a really (laughs) long explanation from our administrative and everyone who actually fucks with us is going to know that it's just all bullshit and this is just us and it's fake and they'll all be in on the joke. Right. But all of the people who don't actually know who we are won't be in on the joke and it'll be hilarious. I think that's a fantastic idea. And speaking of our OG listeners, Natalia and I are considering launching a Patreon March first Mm -hmm. so keep a lookout there might be a link in the description of this episode and perhaps that location is where we can post all of our uh, trolling secrets and then everyone else who's new and doesn't quite understand what's happening will just be like oh bianca Crookshanks worth the third. Yes, yeah, she she does their behind the scenes work. Right. She graduated from Harvard. She has a degree in every single science there is. She's a very learned <laughs> woman. You know what? I did think of a personal haunting I want to talk about. Oh, please. Our fucking um oh my god. As soon as I said this, my mind just totally went blank because I haven't had my coffee yet this morning. What is that app called? TikTok. Our TikTok has been blowing up, guys. Um, We hit 20,000 followers while we were on break. We went Mm -hmm. from like 500 to 20,000 in the span of a month and a half. And it was pretty wild. And there's a lot of growing pains to go through. A lot of people on there don't quite understand what we're doing or who we are or when we're trolling or when we're serious and when it's time to not take something so serious. So definitely go follow us at TikTok at Let's Get Haunted. But I've been reposting our TikToks as YouTube shorts because one of the haunties recommended that to us and they were like, hey, might as well do it. You'll get like double the views. And I was like, excellent suggestion. Mm. Why does everyone else know more than we do about (laughs) the business? And so we've been doing that. Those of you who have been on TikTok might be familiar with a trend that I think happened in like November or December where people were using this sound that was like, tell me you don't look your age without telling me you don't look your age. And then it's supposed to say what your age is. And so most people are expecting for people in the comments to be like, oh my God, you look so good. I can't believe you're 50. You look like you're 22. Yeah. It's also like people getting roasted in their comments. Like you definitely look like you're 70, (laughs) but you said you're 50, right? So I made a TikTok using that sound. And then for the reveal of my age, I said I was 87 years old, which I feel like anyone would understand is a troll. People on YouTube have not caught up and don't understand it's a troll. So they think that you're, actually 87 well it actually gets even better somehow a bunch of like facebook moms from like mommy groups have started using youtube shorts and so i posted that for a while it was like dormant like nobody cared the haunties were commenting being like oh that's so funny and then the mommy groups found it and got super mad and they were like oh my god you're clearly not 87 maybe you could be 50 if you have a good filter on but 87 that's creating unrealistic expectations i hope that my mom never sees that because she's 81 she's already insecure about her looks and now we have someone coming on here claiming to be 87 and at first i was like maybe this person is trolling with me so i commented and i was like LOL, dear, my grandkids are having such a hoot reading these responses. And then I did like the prayer hands emoji. I'm like, okay, 
this if this person is trolling or not trolling they should understand now that it's like definitely a troll right right? she did not understand it just made her angrier saying that i was setting an unrealistic expectation for 90 year old women um which i didn't even know 90 year old women are on youtube shorts so i learned something new while we were on break right can we also normalize clearly understanding that i'm not a 90 year old great grandma Like, the caption was like, oh, I do this for my great-grandkids so, like, they can have a better life. Like, I don't understand. I don't even know what to say about that. There's this really funny character from that show, Kimmy Schmidt, that came out a few years ago. And this character is named Titus Andromedon. He's, like, the best character ever. And Kimmy's saying something to him. I don't know. And he's like, I don't know how to respond, but I'm hoping that the tone of my voice makes you think that I do. (laughs) that's how I feel I feel like I don't know what to say to that because on the one hand like like I I I literally don't own a fucking emotion to respond to that level of stupidity because part of me feels sorry for that person the other part of me is like I don't know it's just a weird like something weird got triggered in me because on the one hand I'm like shut the fuck up and then on the other hand I'm like oh I feel sorry for you and then on the other hand I'm like well there are unrealistic expectations in the world but like who the fuck cares but then I'm also like oh no but then you're just validating someone else's feelings so I just you know what fuck I don't what the fuck am I supposed to say I don't know well now I'm wondering if I if maybe I do look like I'm close to 90 and that's why it was so convincing and so uh anger inducing maybe she was like oh this lady clearly is you know a senior citizen but just not that old and that's what her beef was I don't know I don't know but it was very interesting and then I started responding to the mommy Facebook comments uh with like copy pasta from r slash old people Facebook do you remember when there was that like chain message thing going around Facebook a couple years ago where boomers were posting like, yeah, I do not give Facebook my permission to like <laughs> copyright my photos. <laughs> like at, if you don't repost this status at midnight, like they have all of your information and like there will be like a chip in your brain. So I just started reposting like replying to every comment with that copy pasta and then a couple people ended up I think understanding it was a joke after all and feeling stupid and deleting their comments but there's still a couple on there that are are pretty excellent that is a personal haunting I feel like that is the level of miscommunication and misunderstanding that like just happens on a daily basis with a lot of things that I do so I sympathize with you there's been many times where I'm just trying to make like a lighthearted joke that's not pointed at anyone that's designed to make everyone feel good and like bond you know and come closer and it's just totally misinterpreted and misconstrued and used against me and yeah it's (laughs) it's a bummer it's really a bummer I don't know what the solution is to that because I've had friends that are like that in the past like I'll say like something that I think is funny that's designed to to be a fun thing for all of us and it's not taken that way and it's it's a bummer (laughs) you know maybe the solution is to just use boomer copy pasta Facebook statuses in response. When people start responding right. illogically, just go full boomer and just respond with the most unhinged situation ever. And I feel like that's perfect because especially for those types of people, they'll like see you reposting that and they'll be like, oh wait, she's one mm-hmm. of us. Never mind. Let me delete my comment. Like mm-hmm. clearly she's right. like 5G is causing my brain cancer and <laughs> um she's on the same wavelength. Do you feel like the art of trolling 
requires an audience. Like, don't you feel like the perfect troll must be witnessed and seen and understood by others in order to like be to to be a good troll? I think TikTok was on board with the with the trend being (laughs) clearly a joke, but YouTube Shorts just has a learning curve. Yeah, it's funny because like I'll comment like stupid troll things on horse content and just a lot of horse content. And let me tell you, it's very serious. There are no trolls and it's not (laughs) popular because it's just like all horse girls, right? So my small goal in life that gives me the tiniest amount of serotonin is to leave a comment on a horse thing that's like sort of a sarcastic troll and like try to get it upvoted. And it's sometimes work and sometimes it just goes completely over people's head in the same way where they're like I would never adjust the girth that way that is putting yourself and the horse in so much danger and it's yeah similar you bring up a good point I think that social media in general would be more enjoyable if people would just assume everyone is joking I feel like that is what most of social media besides Twitter maybe that is what most of social media is is like everyone's just trying to have a good time and make people laugh and maybe Twitter's the exception because that's like the outrage social media but yeah I just remember, okay, so Alyssa is the one who has been posting the most TikToks. Whatever spiritual vein that controls the TikTok sphere has opened up and is communicating with Allie. She has opened (laughs) a portal and is channeling that energy through. My TikToks are more just like, I'm going to make a dramatic music video to this song I like, you know? So like, I feel like she's taken the reins on this. But one of the funny things was when I first opened up the TikTok and like saw the amount of work that you had done, which is great, bringing in all of these people as I noticed there was like a woman who replied to something you said and she was like this movement of anti-intellectualism is drawing concern away from like real world problems and it's anti-science and anti da 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 oh yes I saw that there are children suffering and women being tortured and da 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 and the more we focus on like whether or not aliens are real the less we focus on that and I was just like I 100% disagree with this person that's it that will be my next TikTok is I'm just gonna stitch that and just be like I disagree with no explanation nothing (laughs) that's it that would be an incredible troll and then I feel like she would stitch that and go on another rant I know exactly what you're talking about I had posted a first of all keep in mind guys we had like 500 followers literally when I posted this it was only haunties and I just posted like oh I saw something interesting on reddit it seems like there were all of these alien posts around the world being posted to reddit around the same time interesting right like I want to talk to someone about that who else is interested in aliens the haunties so I made a little tiktok where literally all I'm doing is just it's a screen recording of me scrolling through my reddit feed and then zooming in on like different videos. It was so short. It was like a minute long. Right. It was none of your actual views or posts. You were just like, it no. was a screen recording of other stuff that's already on Reddit. Yes. It was literally just me being like, look at this stuff that I saw. Isn't that interesting that they were all posted around the same time? Like, hey, what do you guys think about that? Like, let's fucking discuss and have a fun time in the comments talking about aliens. This lady saw it. And immediately stitched it. Oh, but you want to know what set her off? Actually, you may not know this, Natalia. So what set her off is in the video I describe because we have we have actually quite a few blind listeners. And so I always like to describe stuff in the TikToks if I can. So I said in the TikTok, like, oh, here's a video of 
three um, like illuminated points in the sky in the in the shape of a triangle. And then, okay, now here's the next video that shows like some lights going really fast in the sky, you know, whatever. And the lady commented and she was like, well, actually, any three points in the sky will form a triangle like as if I'm an idiot. But so I responded back to her and I was like, I mean, unless they're in a straight line. And then she got super mad when I said, unless they're in a straight line. And she commented back and was like, I forget exactly what she said, but I thought we were all just having a fun trolley time. She like commented with like the angry emoji and like the eye rolling emoji and then immediately stitched it and did this rant about how like me single handedly, this person (laughs) that she doesn't know and stumbled across a screen recording video of is like dismantling like reality as we know it. (laughs) Yeah, but then I saw some haunties um, in her comments because I got the notification but that that video went viral and so I wasn't able to see like everything at first and then one of the haunties alerted me and was like hey just so you know some weirdo stitched it and I was like can you send me a screen recording because I can't see it I'm getting too many notifications I don't know which one it is and then they sent it to me and then they were like don't worry there's people in the comments that are telling her that she's like a dumbass (laughs) yeah that's too fun yeah that's just too fun too fun and I think that lady was just really mad because I pointed out that three lights in the sky don't always form a triangle because they can in fact form a straight line and that just was too much for her good job that's a that's a great troll I've seen you grow over the past few generations we've known each other (laughs) into more of a troll and I feel like that is a correct path to be on I feel like that is also just part of getting older is realizing that it's more fun to troll. Right. And, you know, may that woman, I don't know what's wrong with her. It seemed like a lot was wrong with her life, just judging on how fast she reacted. Right. And so we wish her well. Mm-hmm. The haunties wish her well. Get well soon, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, that would be so funny. You have to stitch and say that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll do that next. That's what I'll just <laughs> say. I'm writing that down on my super important long list of really extremely academic things that I do today. One, stitch TikTok of skeptic saying, get well yeah. soon, bitch. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of the haunties who alerted me to this woman who completely missed the the point right i would like to give a shout out to our haunties who donated this month i would love to give a big shout out to jessica w kara h sylvie m dora m and jessica m and cara h thank you all so so much for your donations if you would like to donate to the show there's no time to explain you can simply check out the show notes Alrighty, and i want to give a thank you to camry g anna k jessica M, Gentry B, Corey T, and Casilda P, who I will be mentioning the next four episodes because they said that they didn't hear their name get shouted out, but that they didn't actually care about the shout out. They just wanted to make sure that we got the donation. And I'm here to tell you that we got the donation and I'm going to shout you out against your will. (laughs) Kiri S, Camry G again, Sarah W, Megan C, and Alyssa S, who sent a very, very generous donation. Thank you so much, everyone who donated. We appreciate all of our donations big or small. We use them directly to fund and support the podcast, to pay our rent, to pay for studio equipment, and to fund 
on some future vlogs in the and some Patreons that we have in mind. Yes, absolutely. Thank you all so much. We really appreciate your donations. And if you ever don't hear your name shouted out, my recommendation is to just wait a couple episodes because sometimes, depending on what we have going on in our personal lives, we might record an intro or an episode a little bit in advance. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we just aren't efficient enough and we can't do it. I start freaking out and I'm like, my episode is not perfect and right. then we have to push it back. Yeah. But if all goes well, we're recording stuff a little bit in advance. So I would say wait about a month and then if you still don't hear a name, do exactly what Casilda P did and send us a DM or an email because that is a mistake mm-hmm. and we will rectify it yep. against your will yes. to make up for it. And now a word from this episode's sponsor. Breaking news alert, haunties. Our friends at Manscaped are now selling beard products. That's right. The leaders in grooming are revolutionizing the hygiene game once again with the new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. It all starts with the Beard Hedger. This cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel with 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard. So no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. You hear that, folks? No more messy drawers. Except maybe your date's drawers after they get an eyeful of your newly groomed face. Whether it's your beard or your partner's, the facial hair in your life can now be sculpted however the heart desires. Clean up that chin and roll into this Valentine's Day looking and feeling confident. Not sure what to buy your bearded beau this love day? Manscaped takes the guesswork out of everything by offering the Beard Hedger Pro Kit, a neatly packaged kit full of all your beard basics. From beard shampoo and conditioner to beard oil and beard balm, Manscaped has you covered in perfectly groomed and coiffed facial hair to make your valentine freak the fuck out when they see you. Because while it may be kind of fun to look like an unkempt Captain Barbosa, nobody wants to look like a cursed 1700s fisherman while trying to get some ass this V-Day. Transform yourself from a scruffy beast of Bray Road frightening everyone you encounter to a well-oiled and well-groomed Liam Neeson, who just battled his way back to town after surviving a plane crash in Alaska and is now ready to take their partner out to a nice steak dinner. So, what are you waiting for? Save 20% off plus free shipping by going to manscaped.com and using code LET'S GET HAUNTED. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code LET'S GET HAUNTED. All caps, all one word. Manscaped Beard Hedger, one stroke, one guard, 20 links. And now back to your regularly scheduled haunting. Well, Natalia, I'm ready to get super haunted if there's no other um, personal hauntings going on to announce. Well, I'm glad you're ready because I forgot that we were doing my episode today. Thankfully, I already have it written, so I just can pull it up and it's fine. We can just like continue on and no one knows. But I just felt like it's just the chef's kiss that we are recording and I didn't even know it was my episode until this moment. <laughs> but you know what? That just proves that I manifested this when I wrote my episode ahead of time and had my shit together. And as you guys can see, I'm making great strides in my personal life. Absolutely. I am ready. I am ready to hear the haunting. Today's episode is more than just a spooky tale. It's the story of our past. While you listen to this story, I challenge the listeners to resist judgment and instead dig deeper than what's being presented on the surface. Only then will we find the answers to the unknown. When we think of history, what exactly is it that comes to mind? 
what images, archetypes, and narratives are conjured up from within. For some, history is as solid as the things that were left behind. Candlelit palaces filled with memories of a bygone era. An aging painting tucked beneath dusty, tempered glass. A stain on our favorite t-shirt. And yet, for others, history is the intangible source of spirit, a metaphor for the foundation of which our current being came to exist, a twisting ladder of DNA winding back unto the eldest limbs of a family tree. Even so, perhaps history is not an object or an idea, but rather a person. Is history the name given to a powerful, uniformed man standing proudly atop a mighty steed, presiding over territory won in blood-stained battle? And from whose eyes do we view history? Surely the man on top of the horse has a much different perception of history than the horse beneath the man. What is it about the ancient, outdated, or technologically defunct that captivates humanity's imagination? Somewhere between now and all the time before divides vintage from the junk, but where is that line drawn? Where the line is drawn depends upon the triggered feeling of nostalgia, or is nostalgia itself just another trend we will discard in the future? What is the intrinsic value of age? In a culture where we discard last season's style but campaign to protect what we deem as historically relevant, how can we quantify history itself? Are some eras more valuable than others? And where does preservation fit into our society as we strive to improve upon our past? What is it about the past that captures the imagination and begs us to restore it? American history, although somewhat shorter than its global counterparts, is equally as rich. But lately, some folks have raised the question, is history worth preserving? Ellie, what do you think? I think history is worth preserving, right? I think even the like terrible, offensive parts of history are probably worth at least putting in a museum, right? Like when you're talking, I'm thinking of like, um, I don't know, like a statue or something of like, I think there was a statue in London that was of someone who was like a terrible human being. Mm -hmm. And so people were like, okay, we got to tear down this statue because we can't be glorifying this person. And I agree with that, but I also don't think we should just like throw out that statue, right? Like we can put it in a museum right. so that way we can. And then there's a plaque underneath that's like, hey, this dude was a piece of shit and here's a statue of him and right. now let's roast him. Why not open up a museum dedicated to encapsulating the memorial of all of those people, that person who the statue was made out of fucked up. And so then that way it's not like their stories are lost either, right? I grew up in California. And so when we were in middle school, every public middle school in California, I believe, was required to go to the Museum of Tolerance, which is in Los Angeles. And so we would get on a bus and we would go to the Museum of Tolerance, which is a Holocaust museum. Mm -hmm. The Holocaust was a horrible blight on humanity's mm -hmm. history, right? On world history. But that doesn't mean we just ignore it. We still need to learn about it and there still deserve to be memorials and, and videos and documentaries about it, right? right? So I think that all parts of history are probably 
beneficial to reflect on and preserve. Right. Well, I mean, I don't really have the answer to that. I just wanted to write like a really cool, moody intro. It was beautiful. <laughs> Thank it was you. absolutely beautiful. It really got me thinking. It got my gears turning. It got the cogs oiled mm. in my brain. And even with my lack of coffee, I'm paying attention. So this is great. Oh, good. Okay. Well, I'll just keep asking you like really pointed questions so you can focus. Bell Grove Plantation was built in 1791 in what today is known as King George, Virginia. Currently, Belgrove Plantation is operating as a bed and breakfast hotel run by a family known as the Darnells. The Darnells began their business at Belgrove in 2011 and since opening have encountered many unexplained phenomena within the home. Many of these unexplained experiences have been captured through EVP, on film, or by first-person witnesses who stayed in the home. Some hypothesize that Belgrove's 300-year-long history is the fuel for all of these unexplained events. However, today Belgrove is still as active as it was nearly 300 years ago. A prime example of Belgrove's historical reinvigoration includes their annual Independence Day party. Every year, Belgrove Plantation models their celebration after the origin of the holiday. Each 4th of July, the Belgrove Plantation is fitted to look and feel as it did in the 18th century, and the Darnells host tours that revive what the original July 4th might have felt like in colonial Virginia. But the history of Belgrove, which reaches back in time over 300 years, is much darker than its new life as a bed and breakfast, and some of those memories refuse to be forgotten. Belgrove's rich history serves as the backdrop for a fascinating look back in time and a solid foundation for some serious haunts, some of which include the birthplace of America's fourth president, James Madison. Belgrove Plantation was even under the eye of America's largest manhunt, the search for Abraham Lincoln's assassin. But before we get into the fascinating historical haunts of Belgrove Plantation, let us begin by turning back the clock to the 17th century. The year is 1667. Allie, do you know what the world was like in 1667? In wh okay, in which part of the world? The whole thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> it could be any place. Well, so that's going to be before the U.S. became the U.S., because mm -hmm. that was the 1700s. And the 1600s, I want to say that's when the... Poveglia Island story you told me takes place in Italy. It was either that one or the Colabraro takes place in the 1600s. One of those two. The Black Plague came around a few times, but I feel like the main plague was like in the 1300s, right? Okay. I'm just going to tell you what I wrote down. How about that? Yeah, tell me because I'm out of ideas. In 1667, the witch trials in Sweden were in full effect. Oh, yes. London was being rebuilt after the Great Fire of London in 1666. On June 15th in 1667, the first human blood transfusion took place. Apparently, a doctor transfused the blood of a sheep into a 15-year-old boy. The operation was a success, but then later, the doctor was performing the same procedure on a patient, and that patient died. And so then they accused that doctor of murder, which is kind of not fair for that doctor, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure where I stand on the issue of uh, sheep blood transfusions <laughs> into humans. Right. That's a good fun fact and piece of history that I'm going to pull out at a party and right. no one will ever talk to me again <laughs> afterwards, but it'll be good. I just want to know, was that first boy, like the 15-year-old who had the sheep blood transfusion, was he like actually a cryptid, a spiritual phenomenon? <laughs> and we were all like, whoa, blood transfusions from sheep work to humans. But in reality, that person was just like like a reptilian it's possible maybe he was a witch this was during the time of the witch trials maybe he hadn't been burned at the stake yet on november 25th in 1667 there was a devastating earthquake that rocked caucasia and killed eighty thousand people This was also the year that the French army used the Guenadilla. This was a special cavalry person that was usually the tallest and strongest and most fit and like the best soldier out of the entire troop. They would pick a few of these guys, like two or three of them, to take hand grenades and go out into battle and throw them and just like start the fucking war like that. I thought that was interesting. That's really cool. Those types of guys and like drummer boys in war are very interesting to me. Oh no, the drummer boys were like 10. Definitely I thought you were going a different direction. Were you thinking I was talking about like drumline with Nick Cannon? Yeah. Because that is a different situation. <laughs> You're right. That is attractive. But no, drummer boys in the Civil War, just like <laughs> marching into battle, not so much. Like Tiny Tim? <laughs> yeah. Some notable celebrities from 1667 include... Allie's favorite, Isaac Newton, who at this time was riding on and investigating optics, acoustics, and calculus. Also, thermodynamics. Also, (laughs) Louis XIV, aka the Sun King of France, was around. (laughs) Did I just want to show you a picture of this person? (laughs) I went off on like just several random tangents while I was researching this episode, as you can see. You know, I just got really interested in the blood transfusion, and I spent a lot of time researching what life was like in 1667 and then I forgot that I was doing an episode. That is my favorite part of our episodes. I did that when I was researching the premiere. I like started telling my boyfriend about like this really niche part of history and he was just on the couch playing video games and I was like isn't that interesting? I just kept saying that over and over again and then finally he was like yes it's interesting. (laughs) We're living the same life. Okay here is a picture of Louis the 14th aka the sun king of France. Ooh, wow. Yes. So Natalia is showing me a very ornate, intricate, beautiful, detailed royal painting. The color scheme is like orange and white and there are lots of browns and he's wearing like a big, long brown wig like imagine when you watch law and order and there's like a case in england and the people like the judge wears a big powdery wig still it's like that but brown and he's wearing like 85 layers and you just have to wonder in the 1600s how sweaty was everyone royal all the time i mean apparently castles were like some of the most disgusting places you could live ever i actually have been off on oh, really? several tangents about this in my life one one fun fact about me that maybe will help some people with insomnia out there if i can't sleep i'll go on youtube and just type in like what was life like in and then there will be all of these historical videos where like people will play oh, that's it's cool. like asmr but it's historical so like you know when you watch asmr sometimes it'll be like someone cooking or something like that this will be like 
like how to make a pauper's soup from 1666. And it's like someone going out to get water in a bucket and like coming inside and putting it in a cauldron and like stoking a fire and putting it on there. And it just, I really like it. So um, one of those tangents was like life in the 15th century castle. And apparently they were really disgusting because there was no like way to get sewage out. So there would just be like buckets of shit in the corners and stuff. And it just smelled terrible. So people would put like big flower arrangements everywhere. And like court was supposed to actually be like really disgusting. Oh my God. You know, I would love to just travel back in time and just be invisible, like be a fly on the wall and just watch and see like what some of this (laughs) crazy shit was like for rich people in different centuries. So I'm going to describe this painting as well. In the painting, Louis the Fourteenth is wearing a blanket cape slash thing, and it looks like it's made of Dalmatians. He has an actual scepter in hand, and on his left hip, he has a bejeweled sword. He's wearing like this mini ruffled silk bloomer with pastel blue tights, pearl buckled heels, and he's making the most come fuck me face <laughs> that I've ever seen in my life. I feel like that just kind of sums up the differences that were going on in the world in 1667. Words that come to mind for the 1667 for the royals were opulence and flamboyance and overindulgence and slay. Meanwhile, in America, we have the complete opposite, the frontier essentially compared to that. Now, obviously, there were already people, as we know, living in America before it was colonized and they had their own cultural traditions and customs. But I'm talking about through the eyes of someone who is coming over from England to America. Right. They're not going to be like just welcomed in to build a castle so they have to start by finding trees and then cutting those down and then building a castle for themselves. I see where you're going with this yeah so like someone coming from England who's seeing King Louis the whatever who's like punching his court jester and like shitting in a (laughs) chamber pot and like executing people from his stone castle like you you see that stuff you know that stuff is going on in the world and then you travel to the quote-unquote new world which is what they referred to it as and you're yeah Mm -hmm. you're a pioneer person Right, exactly. Yes. I just want to make sure that everyone is happy with that description and there's no need to be like that woman on TikTok who (laughs) was upset about the three dots in a row. Yes, yes. At this time, racial lines in America were not drawn as a means to segregate in the same way that they would be in the 18th century. Instead, at this time, the focus was on class. During this time, 1667, America was just an amalgamation of very poor working class people and their reptilian overlords, aka privileged members of the establishment, who wanted to lay claim on new territory that was in America. Remember our Donner Party episode where we learned about that crazy dude named Lance? Transferred Hastings, who wanted so desperately to be famous that he had advertised this supposedly new shortcut to California named the Hastings Cutoff, which ultimately led to the lengthy delay which trapped the Donner Party in the Sierra Nevadas and forced family members to cannibalize each other. (laughs) Yes, I do recall that situation. Was this also the man who really wanted everyone to know that he had like hung out with a president before? (laughs) Yeah. 
they all had in some ways. So these were the kind of people who were settling and going to settle America. They were sort of crazy with nothing to lose and everything to gain. So this is 1667. And in an effort to not bore the shit out of everyone, I'm going to provide a bit of historical family tree stuff here about the property I'm talking about, just to show how many times this plantation would come to switch hands throughout its lifespan. So in 1667, the land on which Belgrove Plantation would come to stand is located in now what is known as the Northern Shenandoah Valley. The land was originally part of the first English colonization efforts in America. On September 28, 1667, Governor Sir William Berkeley granted 5,275 acres known as Nazem to Thomas Chetwood and John Prosser. Chetwood and Prosser had transferred 106 people from England to the new colonies, and that land was part of their payment. A few years passed before John Prosser sold off a piece of that original 5,000 acres. April 13th, in 1670, John Prosser sold 1,000 more acres to a man named Anthony Savage. Anthony Savage not only had the coolest last name ever, he was also a justice in two counties, and he was also captain of the militia. And I don't know why, but like every source I read was like, although captain was awarded to him posthumously. I don't know. People like really don't want you to think that he was a captain while he was alive for some reason. That sounds like an error on behalf of the people who didn't give him his flowers while he was alive. And I don't know anything about this man. Maybe he's a piece of shit, but I'm just saying, you know, give people their accolades while they're living. Don't we? till they're dead to like knight them or give them a title. Exactly. Records show that the land at this time was known as Mangechumusen or Mongohiokala to Anthony Savage. Anthony Savage's descendants would spread to two other families, the Conways and the Thorntons. One of Anthony Savage's daughters was named Alice, and she married Francis Thornton, and they had seven children together. What I found interesting was that the first of these children was a girl named Margaret, and she would go on to marry her first cousin, William Strother II. Her first cousin. I just want everyone to know that she married her first cousin. And according to the Belgrove website, Margaret and William had also been childhood friends before they got married. Yeah, they their families were probably hanging out all the time because they're literally related. I don't know that that's even really childhood friends. That's childhood cousins. <laughs> One of Margaret and William's childhood friends was this guy named Lawrence Washington, and Lawrence Washington would become the great-grandfather of George Washington. When Anthony Savage died, he gave 700 acres to his daughter, Alice, and her husband, Francis Thornton, and he gave the other 300 acres to his great-granddaughter, Margaret, and her first cousin-slash-husband, William. Francis and Alice Thornton also had a daughter named Elizabeth Thornton, who married Edwin Conway. Edwin and Elizabeth only had one child named Francis Conway, which is confusing because Francis the son and Francis the father are both named Francis Conway, uh, which that's, you know, whatever. They could put like a little two or a one or a junior, but they didn't. However, I'm going to call Francis Jr. because this shit's confusing. <laughs> Francis Jr.'s father died when he was only two and Elizabeth remarried to Jonathan Gibson, who she had two more children with. When Francis Sr. died, Elizabeth and Jonathan inherited 700 acres, but Jonathan died only three years after that. After Jonathan died, Francis Jr. and his wife Rebecca Conway inherited the 700 acres. Francis Jr. and Rebecca had six children. 
One of those children was Eleanor Rose Conway, but she went by Nellie. You might be wondering, why does any of this matter? So Nellie would go on to meet her husband, James Madison Sr., when he came to Port Royal to ship out tobacco. Nellie came back to Belle Grove in December of 1750 while she was pregnant with her first child with James Madison Sr. Nellie's first child was born at home at Belle Grove Plantation on March 16, 1751, and that baby boy named James Madison Jr. would grow up to be the fourth president of the United States, James Madison. You're supposed to be like starstruck. Yeah, everyone is really related to each other in right. the early times. Mm-hmm. You know, before the age of tender, it was either fuck your cousin or die alone and get burned as a witch because you can't be single as a right. woman in your older age. Maybe the only people who survive history from this long ago are like somewhat famous, right? I hopped off the plane at Colonial America. Yeah. Everybody seems so famous. This is really stupid, but I just decided to share because maybe it will lead to a butterfly effect, which cures cancer. I don't know. Yeah. So I want to add that the original home on Bell Grove that Nellie gave birth in to the fourth president of the United States, James Madison, was apparently repurposed into this larger mansion that stands today. And this plantation that we're going to talk about today, Bell Grove, it's passed through so many different hands and owners. As you could tell, just that brief history of I, like we didn't even get into the 1800s yet. We just stopped at James Madison because I thought it was interesting. But that (laughs) plantation will change hands so often. It has so many different owners. So the plantation today is styled after a different person who lived at the plantation for each room. So each room they have styled in the time period in which the respective owners Mm. were at the time. So they'll have like the Madison room, which is styled in like the 1700s. So now I'm going to show you a picture of Belgrove Plantation. So Natalia is showing me a house that I would like to build in Sims because I've never seen it before. Um, There are like a lot of columns on the front. It's sort of like a cream color with white accents. It has two chimneys. So that should tell you for all of the people out there who like to build in the Sims 4, that should tell you how big this house is, okay? There are two chimneys on opposite ends of the house. There's actually three See the other one? Oh, three? Oh, shit. I have never seen a house in Sims 4 with three chimneys. That is crazy. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. It looks like people maybe have added on over time. And There's a historical photo. <sighs> wow. So Natalia is showing me a modern color photo, a black and white old-timey photo. Uh, the old black and white photo looks pretty much the same. I mean, the only difference I'm seeing, at least from my view, is that there has been like a modern walkway added in Mm -hmm. modern times to get up to the house. I believe there's like a ramp, which is nice. That's nice that it's wheelchair accessible. And in olden times, they literally didn't give a fuck about anyone. So it's just like make it over this moat and rocks and climb a (laughs) cliff and you're you're there. Notice the curved doors. Do you see this curved door? Oh, wow. Oh, that's so interesting. I've also, you can't do that in Sims. So that is very interesting to me. Um, um, yeah, Natalia is showing me a curved, f- is that at the front door? They're like the side doors, like here and here. They're oh. like the side porch doors. These were added on during the time period. I think it was like in the 1800s. These were added on. This was like a super display of opulence. This was like having a Lamborghini out wow. on your front 
want these curved doors. Yeah, like I'm saying, you can't even make that in The Sims 4. That's how complicated this is. I don't even know how you would do that in real life. But yes, I'm looking at a curved wall with a curved wooden door that somehow latches and also has curved glass um, around the frame. I think they had to find a curved tree and then they had to like ask for its permission to take the door from it. Wow. Now, here is the inside of this mansion. It's super like old plantation colonial as you would kind of expect, you know? Like we... Yeah. I don't have a whole lot of examples of like what that's supposed to look like. So I'm prob- I'm only going off of like Hollywood movies that I've seen that have been set in that t- time period. It's what I would, you know, this is where I would make a movie set in that time period. Yeah. Natalia's showing me a red interior of perhaps like a sitting room or something with a white ornate fireplace and these very, very tall archways in and out of different rooms that are also white and ornate. And you can put those in Sims 4. (laughs) So that is making sense to me. I know a little bit about this because when I moved to Georgia, I instantly became obsessed with finding out historical things that were around me. Like there's like 1800s buildings that that are just like down the street where I get coffee every morning, which I think is fantastic. So I was like looking up stuff about it. And um, in the 1800s, for some reason, people were like really into this Greek revival movement. You know how when you think of plantations oh. in the South, you think of like columns and they all have that like columny column look. Yeah. It's supposed to be like a take on Greek architecture because like the Acropolis and all of that shit had all of those columns, which I didn't know until I went down that rabbit hole that day. So if you want to see any of these pictures, oh, that's very interesting. you can go to Let's Get Haunted at Instagram. It's impossible to talk about the history of Belgrove Plantation without acknowledging that this was a place where enslaved people were. In an effort to honor the memory of those enslaved people, the owner of this bed and breakfast, Michelle Darnell, hosts tours where she uses found artifacts in an attempt to tell the story of of those enslaved people. Michelle said in an interview for midatlantictrips.com, quote, when it came to the enslaved community, I really didn't know what to tell about them. I have very limited information on them because they were kept as inventory stock. No names, no faces, just like animals. But their story is just as important. Bell Grove wouldn't be what it is today without the enslaved people working here. Because of a lack of records kept, a discussion about specific enslaved individuals who are at Belgrove Plantation is not possible today. Additionally, there's like very little remaining evidence of the enslaved people's lives at all, like a slave cemetery or buildings where enslaved people had lived, slept, or worked out of. And that's because a lot of those during the Civil War were just burned to the ground. Oh, wow. So during the Civil War... The third owners of the plantation, the Turner family, were actually forced out of Belgrove Plantation when Union soldiers took over the property. At the Civil War takeover, the Turners lost everything and they were forced to flee to a different part of Virginia. So I didn't know this, but during the Civil War, the Union soldiers, like they basically were just trying to get rid of everything that the South had to their advantage so not only did they want to get rid of these plantations that were just like the antithesis of everything they believed in but also a lot of these working plantations were helping out the soldiers from the south so if they would just go through and burn up all of these like plantations and like major properties where like wealthy families lived then they were hoping to sort of like fuck up the infrastructure of the south 
Okay. So a lot of information about this particular residence, it was just like lost, burned to the ground. So Michelle Darnell believes that during the Union soldier takeover of Bell Grove, most of those records were burned. Furthermore, in the 1950s, there was another local fire in King George County Courthouse that destroyed any remaining records that could have filled in some of those gaps about the plantation's history, which I just think is super haunted, right? Like all of the records on this plantation burned, and then even the records that were kept outside of the plantation in a courthouse in a different county burned in a fire oh oh yeah no that's that's like a, some sort of curse or like history trying to correct itself like this property there's something about this property that just like doesn't need to be made public mm, right i wonder if like time travelers came and like they were just like we have to get rid of all of the evidence of whatever it was that was here because we changed the time continuum right <gasps> This loss of records also provides for some of the sparing of the actual home because the Union troops who were traveling down the river looking to destroy all these plantations and major properties ended up sparing Bell Grove because there were Union soldiers living in it as a base. Now, I want to add in here that Michelle Darnell believes the only ones who should tell the stories of the enslaved community should be former enslaved individuals. However, without records or people still alive who were enslaved to tell those stories, she uses a presentation that focuses on food that came over with kidnapped Africans and some of the written experiences of three separate people who survived slavery. They lived to write and tell their stories. Michelle also includes several artifacts and evidence of slavery found at Bell Grove to draw attention to what life may have looked like for enslaved individuals who were living on the property. So I'm going to show you some pictures of um, some of this stuff in the house. And the reason I'm talking about the current modern application of what Bell Grove is like is today, so that when I start getting into like why it's so fucking haunted, we all understand. Can you see that? Yes, but I can't tell what it is. Are those glasses? So those are handcuffs. They're hand shackles. So these are just random artifacts that they found on the property and surrounding areas that are like evidence that slavery even was at the property. They're hand shackles. So as part of Michelle's like tour of this house that she has going on, she has just presented as much information as she can about the enslaved individuals because, okay, so I'm reading between the lines. Like if we think about it, right, this plantation is super famous. It's super well kept and whatever. And it has rooms after like James Madison and like all of these famous people and the owners who lived there who were all obviously white, right? Even though the plantation was run by enslaved people. So I think in Michelle's mind, she's wanting to not only tell the story of like James Madison and the Turner family, but she also wants to tell the story of the people who were enslaved here. But she doesn't know how to do that because like all the records were burned up. She doesn't know who lived there. And so this is like her way of trying to honor that past. That makes sense. Yeah, I know there's like a... I've seen a lot of... um just like every couple years, like a tweet will pop up and go viral about plantations because there will be like a celebrity that gets married at a plantation. And then right. it, it restarts the discourse of like, what are we to do with these buildings? Like they are built upon like the blood and 
um, suffering of other human beings. But like you said at the very beginning of this episode, does that mean we need to tear, like bulldoze everything, like raise it to the ground, never talk about it ever again? Is it appropriate to have a wedding there? I don't know. Like, but I think what Michelle is doing from what you're explaining to me makes a lot of sense to me because she's trying to um, preserve and recognize the controversial history rather than just be like, oh, this is like a pretty wedding venue. Everyone come do a tour of this beautiful home. She's like, okay, let, let's talk about the dark side of this house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's it's present. There's another picture of a few remaining records where it will say the name of an individual and it'll say like where they were born at. And some of them are listed as being born in this county. So she included them. But again, she doesn't know exactly if they were, you know, if they were part of the community or not. She's just doing her best. Right. Here is the old ice house that's on the property. So what's really interesting about basically what looks like shacks on this property is that a lot of these surrounding plantations from this time period in this area were lost, right, due to the fire from the Civil War. But also they were made out of materials that just don't last that long. So there's like not very many surviving buildings from this time period so the fact that there's so many on this property still standing today as in the same building materials that haven't been restored is like miraculous yeah so when michelle was trying to set up her bed and breakfast she was doing all this research on trying to figure out like where a lot of the buildings were located because most of them are this is we're talking about something that started 300 years ago there's going to be like overgrowth and trees and brush and like dirt and things get buried and so she's trying to find all of these like secret pieces of history but she doesn't know where to look because all of these records have been destroyed so she just starts going to all of these like meetings historical meetings and civil meetings in the area to talk to the people who are in the area and someone just told her through word of mouth they're like hey I know where there's a cemetery that might be the slave cemetery for your property and this guy just like told her where it was oh whoa so she went over to go look f- for it and she gets out this, um, it's like a radar. She was like using this radar to search through the ground to see if she could find something and she wasn't able to find the cemetery. But what she did find is like this old historical road. It's called the Colonial Road and it led from the plantation to the river and it would have been what was used to ship out tobacco and stuff like that to England in the 1700s, which is pretty cool. Wow, she's like an archaeologist and a detective, right? Like she's, and she has no formal training and she's just out here like discovering ancient roads. She's just a fucking haunty basically. In 2016, Darnell founded this nonprofit, which has a mission to preserve, restore, and educate the public about Bell Grove and its place in American history. It's called the James Madison Bell Grove Foundation, and their current goal is to, quote, restore and preserve the 1720 to 1750 summer kitchen, ice house, and smokehouse, end quote. Um, the nonprofit is actually super specific because what I didn't realize, like I said before, is that there's not a lot of these surviving plantations because so many of them were destroyed in the war or just fell into disrepair or they just lack all of their historical components. For example, at Bell Grove, the original summer kitchen, slave quarters, and ice house still exist where and other plantations in Virginia, they, they've just all been lost. Here are some photos of the summer kitchen and the slave quarters. So... 
it's not like it's basically just a shack if you look at it it looks like the place where um charles manson was found hiding yeah natalia is showing me a picture of a stone and and wood shack yeah i mean it looks like it would be very cold there is a fireplace inside of this building and then this is the summer kitchen slave quarters this is where they would have labored and slept so yeah, Natalia's showing me um, a, it looks like a back house. Like if you go to somebody's mm-hmm. house and they have a detached guest home, that's what it looks like. It's not very big. Um, and it has a brick chimney coming out of the top and it is one story. What do you think about this plantation? Do you have any questions? Do you know where I'm going with this before we get into the haunted part? So can you remind me again, where is this located? This is in Virginia? Yes, Virginia. Okay. And it's like... It was originally in the 1600s, part of the first colonization efforts in America. Wow. Like these two fucking dudes, John Prosser and Chet Wood or Chip, Chip, Chep Wood. I don't know. Just like the widest name you can think of. Chip Skylark. (laughs) Came over on a boat with like 160 people or something around there. And then they were just like, all right, we did it. We started America. Where's our payment? And they're, they're like, oh, you can take this land. That's not ours. It's but here, we'll give it to you. So then it just started trading all these hands. And then before you know it, George Washington's great grandfather is there. Someone's marrying their first cousin there. And uh, this fourth president of the United States is born there. And now there's Michelle Darnell runs a bed and breakfast currently to this day there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's super, I don't know, like we've talked about on the show before that anything over a hundred years old is definitely haunted, right? Like we've talked about a hundred year old mirrors and it's like, why would you bring that into your house? Um, Or a hundred year old uh, buildings or people have written in emails being like, I live in a haunted apartment. It was built in the 1900s. Like, yeah, obviously it's haunted. Um, But then you think about these buildings that are from, yeah, like the 1600s or 1700s, 1800s, like so old. And to think of all of the different people that have passed through there, even if you're not spiritual, you have to wonder like what imprint is each person leaving on that building? And I'm sure there were some nice people and good people. And then I'm sure there were some really fucking shitty, terrible, horrible, evil people. And so it's just interesting depending on like if you subscribe to stone tape theory, which we've talked about before on this show, like is each person that lives and dies in there leaving their own imprint i'm gonna say yes that's it i agree okay yeah we can make a tiktok about that (laughs) and have people get angry so some of the haunts that are in this house are auditory we're talking about noises disembodied voices footsteps when there are no people home slamming doors and whispers there are even reported full conversations that are disembodied voices like voices talking to each other the following is a sample from a recording of a plasma box session that was taken at belgrove plantation you can listen to the full video with the transcriptions on the belgrove plantation youtube channel can you say hello the world. How many people are here? Can you please tell me how many people are here? And these have been heard by Michelle, who lives there, as well as like the guests of the bed and breakfast and people who just come by to visit. There's also been visual hauntings. We're talking about ghosts. 
in the basement, there's a tall shadow figure that's been seen, and the library also has a spirit that lingers there as well. There's a lady in white who looks out of the Madison room window, and that lady in white is also said to wake up guests who are sleeping by standing at the foot of the bed. No. There's a ghost of a cat. People have also heard purring and meowing in their room. There's also the ghost of a little boy named Jacob, and Jacob plays with like different toys in the house. He's mischievous. He hides kitchen utensils, and he plays pranks on people. There's sounds of children laughing and playing outside as well. There are full-bodied Union soldier apparitions, like straight up walking throughout the home and grounds of the plantation. There are said to be four Civil War soldiers who have all been seen by the business owner, and they're so clear that you can make out their different facial features. But most terrifying of all, apparently there have been claims that there's a mysterious fog that comes out from underneath the bed and then Madison. What? Yeah, there's no vents in the Madison room and like people who have seen it are fucking terrified. Okay, I'm sorry. That made me so excited and scared because I just imagine the scariest movie I ever saw as a child, which was A Christmas Carol, but the Disney version. And it's like, you know, that scared the shit out of me when... I don't remember who it was. Ebenezer Scrooge is like in bed and then all of a sudden the ghost of Christmas past and present and future or whatever come in. I don't remember what order. And it's just like all creepy and there's like chains and smoke and he's like just hiding in his bed and that scared the shit out of me. And that's so that's what I'm imagining. So Kindred Spirits, which is the show on the Travel Channel, did an episode where their hosts went to the Belgrove Plantation. And then that episode, which I have linked below in the show notes, the host claimed that Michelle Darnell, the owner, called them to the house because there was paranormal activity happening in her caretaker's home and it had gotten so out of hand that she like refused to enter the threshold of the caretaker's home. And the host of the show like actually stayed in the caretaker's home to investigate the paranormal activity. So I'm going to play a portion of the show where the hosts talk about their experiences. So this investigation is at the Belgrove Plantation in King George, Virginia. There's a caretaker house on the property that they have been wanting to do something with but Michelle has had such awful paranormal experiences in that space she won't set foot in it and if it were up to her she would burn that house down. person that's in the house that has claimed that space can be threatening at times. I, I personally do not do anything around it. I try to stay away from it. You don't need, do you go in it? No. Reviewing at the dining room table and something started just banging on the wall behind me. Uh, there were a number of deaths over the years in the house including the deaths of a few children that were buried on the property. Is there a little boy in here who likes to play? Because we brought... Something just touched that bear. Can you knock that bear off the chair? We heard sometimes you like to knock things off of tables. It got touched again. That... I don't understand. Like, people who can keep their composure in situations like this, this would be me, like, (laughs) shitting in the fetal position on the ground crying as this teddy bear is like lighting up and being like I love right. you and like you know I I would just be out I would be out for the count I would be like leaving my body my soul would leave my body and astrally project <laughs> to a safe location while this teddy bear like stabs my my terrestrial body like that is so frightening to me here's the other weird thing too so I'm gonna play a different video for you of this ghost yell obscenities in the caretaker's house. We used our digital voice recorder to try to communicate with him and he just started yelling obscenities at us through our recorder. So whoever is in this house who is not living, we can hear to visit you. 
I mean, I would definitely be afraid to live in this building. Can you imagine like just laying at night and then someone is just like cussing you out or like walking? I mean, it's definitely like an angry situation, right? An angry energy going on there. You know, I had all the same questions that you have. And I thought, what better way to get the answers to these questions than just ask Michelle Darnell herself. Oh, wow. So I was able to get into contact with Michelle, who is just a lovely person, by the way. Hell yeah. So I'm not going to take too much of your time, Michelle, but I just wanted to say thank you very, very much for taking this interview. I am so excited that I got into contact with you. And welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate that. When you first visited this house or this property did you feel like it was haunted did you feel like a different energy did you know that it was haunted and like did they say anything about it being haunted or did it just sort of happen first off we actually came in 2011 july 12 2011 and saw the house for the very first time i have to, to go back and kind of let you guys know as well i've been able to hear and see ghosts since i was four years old I already have a lot of experience with being in certain areas and feeling certain things. So when I walked in the house, of course, I knew immediately that there was somebody here. I just didn't realize it was going to be this many people. They made themselves known very quickly. The first visit, we uh, were touring the house. The house was completely empty. It was my husband, myself, my daughter, and the property manager. We had gone through the house and I wanted to go back through and take pictures because, of course, I was already thinking in my head how I wanted to decorate the house. Right. And so the property manager went with me throughout the house and we got done and we got ready to get out to the basement. And I said, well, do you want to go to the basement with me? He said, no, I'll just go outside and stand with your husband and your daughter out on the, on the riverside, look at the river. And I said, OK, well, I shouldn't be too long. So I walked down the staircase and uh, got two rooms back into the laundry room and I heard a door slam, I mean, really loud slam. And I thought, oh, okay, the guy decided to come back down. So I called out his name and he didn't answer. So I called out again, he didn't answer. So I went ahead and went back up, looked, of course, the door was closed and I walked upstairs and I looked outside and they're all three standing on the bluff. And I'm like, oh, okay. I know now. You're, you're here. Right. I am absolutely fascinated by all of this. Alyssa, my co-host, and I, we've never seen a ghost in person, and I think I would be absolutely terrified. So I am really fascinated by people who have that talent and that natural ability. I have no idea what, what that would be like to have that sixth sense from, you said, four years old? Yeah. Ever since I was four, I've, I've been able to hear and see things. Wow. Reluctant to call myself a psychic because I really don't sit down and do readings and that kind of stuff. Medium, maybe. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's it's not unusual for my guests to come and somebody from their, their past or that has passed over give me a message and want me to give it to them. And, I'll, and if they're open to it, I'll, I'll do it. But I don't sit down with everybody and go, okay, let's, you know, talk to your grandma. So what, was there something when you visited the property and you, you know, obviously had that experience and knew that there were something there, did you feel like this was a business that you wanted to be a part of? Like, did you want to work so closely with the other side, I guess I would say? Well, it, it, I came here basically to open up a bed and breakfast. That was the initial idea. Someone asked me about, you know, how do I like living in a haunted house? And I'm like, well, you know, everywhere you go is haunted. It just depends on, you know, how much haunted it is. Oh, fucking love that. That so <laughs> resonates 
with us or with me and I'm sure with all the haunties because that's exactly what we say on the show all the time. There's positive hauntings, negative hauntings. I would go ahead and just let's add another category. There's neutral hauntings too. Well, I mean, I can be I can be out and about and and hear and see ghosts, you know, walking through a grocery store. You know, right. people are with people. The way I always explain it is when I found this location, I feel like that I needed this house and this house needed me. Mm. I was at the end of, of working uh, 10 plus years for a bank. I was a banker. Okay. I, I really didn't want to do that anymore. I didn't want to be a part of the corporate world anymore. And I'd always wanted to open my own business. It, it took us 10 months to find the location. But as soon as I found it, I mean, immediately I knew I belonged here. It's been really cool how things have pretty much fallen into place. Mm. You know, I'm not saying it's not been a struggle here and there, but it's come a lot easier than I think it would have been anywhere else. I know that we have approximately 83 ghosts in this house. Wow. Inside and outside. I don't think that anybody here is, you know, evil or, you know, malicious or anything like that. But I think they they enjoy the fact that I talk about them and, and talk about their history and, and um, we acknowledge them on a day-to-day basis. So they're a part of the house. Mm-hmm. So I always tell everybody I'm never alone. In some ways, is that comforting? Because what if somebody breaks into your house because they think that you live alone, but there's actually 83 ghosts there and then the 83 ghosts just like attack? It's a more congested world, I think, when you have that ability. Well, I just laugh when people say, oh, my God, I don't know if I could live in a haunted house. I'm like, well, if you only knew people around you when you're home. Oh, that's so creepy to me to just think of all of these spirits like standing around looking at you and you have no idea. People ask me, you know, how do you how do you stay in a haunted house like this? And I said, well, you know, when you, you get on an airplane and you get ready to fly across country, you know, there's a pilot there. Mm-hmm. You don't see them, but you know that they're there. Mm-hmm. Why does it does it scare you that you don't see them? No, it's just you don't see them. It's just another human being. And, you know, it's not like it's, you know, an evil entity that's hanging out in the house. It's not Hollywood, as I always say. Right. It's real life and, and, and real stories that are, are back behind them. Damn. But imagine 83, though, just like, <laughs> like a- <laughs> flying at you, crawling at you, like walking at you, running at you. Just 83. Imagine if they did like an organized dance for you, like sororities, like on TikTok, you know? Like a flash mob. They're just like, <laughs> yeah. we are the ghosts. And then they get into like a huge fight afterwards about like someone misstepped or something. They're like, we've been practicing this. We finally had someone that could see us and you fucked it up. Jacob, the eight-year-old boy or whatever. Jacob, your timing was off. You need to show up to rehearse. <laughs> quit playing with the spoons and the forks and come to fucking rehearsal in the basement. Speaking of Hollywood, I watched the episode of Kindred Spirits on the Travel Channel where they came to Bell Grove and they did an investigation. In that, there was some sort of uncomfortable spirit or uncomfortable energy that was in the caretaker's home. And I don't know if you wanted to elaborate on that. That, was- that is a true story. Okay. I've, I've been here almost 10 years now. Um, when I first arrived, that house was occupied by our caretakers. And now it's nothing more than a storage house. But since they left, I had already started feeling an energy in that in that space. Mm-hmm. There was an old spirit that was there. And in the first couple of years, it was just me and my husband. And so I would cut the grass during the day or whatever. And I would see him peering out the window at me. Wow. He didn't want me anywhere near him. So I, I, I was like, okay, we'll make this pack. You stay in the caretaker's house. I'll stay in the main house. We'll all be good. Mm-hmm. You have your space. I have my space. And you just want me. And I would laugh because I would drive by and I'd see him. I'd go, yeah, I can see you. Yeah, <sighs> I can see you. So when Kindred Spirits came, now Amy and Adam had come previously when Ghost Hunters had come in 2014. 
And Adam had remembered being here and called me and said, hey, can we come out and do a show at your place? Just Amy and I. And I was like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So they, that's when they came out and did Kindred Spirits. God, I love Amy and Adam. They're so funny. <laughs> yeah, The premise that they wanted to follow was along the lines of uh, the slave spirits and, and mm-hmm. stuff. And we do have slave spirits here. We, we embrace all of our history. I, I want to put that out there very much. So you ask me anything I, about slavery, and I'm going to tell you what I know about it. Mm-hmm had slaves that ever owned slaves but i can tell you what what i know about the stories here they wanted to go follow that premise and, and look towards the caretaker's house because they knew that the old overseer was there they made it as if they found the old overseer mm. uh, but it really i already knew who it was i knew it was baldwin lee and and i knew that he had died shortly after the civil war and that was basically all i knew now i did not know how he died right I, I knew he committed suicide, but I didn't know how he had committed suicide. So they wanted to follow that premise. And when they were asking me about the question about going into the caretaker's house and actually uh, being in there, I was very adamant. I said, I really don't want to go in there. Part of the, the things that I feel, I can pick up on people's emotion. I can be perfectly fine and have someone come into the room that's emotionally distraught and I will start crying because mm. I feel so I feel a lot of his emotion with it as well. And he's very, um, he's not angry. I always just say he's ornery. When we went into the caretaker's house, which would have been the overseer's house, that house though did have an entity that was very angry and wanted nothing to do with us. I could see why Michelle was so scared. It was a very hard investigation for us because we suspected it was the overseer. He's not a happy person and, and he's just took with it to death. He's not a happy person. He cusses quite a lot. He, he prefers not to have anybody around him. They wanted me to go inside at the end of the show. And, uh, you know, the, this is off camera. And I was like, you know, really, I don't want to go in there. I, I really don't like going in there. It, it you know, right. it, overwhelms me and they're like well you know this is the premise of the show we really want to make sure that you know we do this part right. we'll be okay we'll take care of you and i'm like okay okay mm-hmm. i'll try he started talking back to us mm-hmm. and we started getting responses and kind of established a boundary for michelle we needed michelle to kind of establish that boundary too i initially walked in you probably saw at the end of the show where i walked mm-hmm. in and said hello Baldwin. this is michelle and i started crying and turned around and walked out that that was true Baldwin, this is Michelle. I'm sorry. No, no, you're good. It's one one step at a time. But what you didn't see is once I went outside, Amy and Adam came running out after me. I'm standing on the porch just crying. I mean, just crying. Mm -hmm. He overwhelms me. Uh, It was just too much for me. It's like, all of a sudden, he just hits me with all this emotion and, and, it's right. like, and, and they were, of course, they were very kind and they were, were saying, you know, I'm sorry, we didn't realize it was this bad. And I was like, well, you know, yeah, it is. We were never able to get her to the point of being comfortable enough to go back into that space. About a week or so after they left, he appeared in my house. Yeah. Was it scary? No, it wasn't scary. He was trying to intimidate me. What did he look like? He's, he's an old man. Oh, my God. I would literally die if I saw a, a, an old man that didn't exist in my house. I didn't see him as a body in my house. His spirit was here, and I knew his spirit was here, and I didn't hear okay. him do things to, to try to intimidate me. And he was saying, you know, you broke the pack, you went into my house, now I'm coming to yours. And it went on for about two months. Sounds like a progression, right? Because it sounds like prior to that, he's been isolated to the caretaker's home. At that time, we were doing uh, ghost tours where we would go downstairs and we would you know talk to the ghost in the basement and and we would do maybe flashlight sessions or stuff like that 
And I went to the basement towards the end of the second month. And we have approximately 20 slave ghosts that are in the basement. As soon as I got down there, I felt a very strong urge that someone was trying to get me to come out. Ava is probably the one that did it. Ava is one of our slave spirits who was basically the the um, head of the kitchen. Okay. I've seen, actually seen her, saw her early on, but I, I felt like she was trying to get me out of the basement. And that's when I realized, wait a minute, he's down here intimidating them. She wants me to out of here to get me away from him. Mm. So I we came out, I told everybody, so we're going to have to go. We can't stay. So we came out of the basement. And that's when I called a friend of mine who's also um, a psychic medium. And I said, I've got a little problem mm. and I'm not sure how to solve this. I started looking for where he was buried because I know he died not far from here. And I found where he was buried. And I, I grabbed a friend of mine who does uh, filming. Mm-hmm. And he tells me going to his grave. I found his grave. Because I didn't want to meet him in his house. I didn't want him meeting me in my house. And I wanted to make sure we were together. So Baldwin, this is Michelle again. And I just want to to let you know that I'm here to to talk with you because I feel like this is a good neutral ground between the two of us. I want to help you to rest in peace. I'm not here to tell you to leave Belgrove. You can stay there if you want as long as you're not mean and as long as you're not going to hurt anybody. But I also want to talk to you about the people that you have there at the house with you. I know that there are people there that that are afraid to leave because of you. Let them know it's okay for them to leave. You're not going to be alone. No, we'll all be there. I'll be there. Other people will come to see you as well. You won't be alone. I want to help you. Please help me help you. And so we went back to the caretaker's house and I went inside the caretaker's house and I was able to hold a conversation with him. We had a flashlight session that was going on and he was answering things and said, you know, I said, just so you know, we're going to continue to come in here. Well, hello, Baldwin. It's Michelle. I told you I'd come back and see you here. It feels totally different. Ooh, okay. Thanks for letting me know you were here. (laughs) Like I said before, when we were talking over at your grave, I want to help you to be settled. I want you to rest in peace. And I know you feel safe here, and I don't want you to have to leave. I want you to stay here if you want to stay here. But I don't want you to feel that you have to scare people out of here or to be mean or ugly or say things that you shouldn't say. And, you know, I want you to to exist with us both. Everybody exists at the same time. Can you turn the light off if you understand me? The light just went off. So we understand each other. Thank you. <laughs> he turned it back on. I'm going to ask you not to be mean, not to say nasty things. When you cuss at people, they, it doesn't make them happy. It, it, scare, it, it hurts their feelings. So you're not scaring anybody. You're just, you're just saying that you're not a nice person. Okay, thank you for turning that off again for me. So, and he's, he's actually calmed down quite a bit. He still cusses, but you know, he, I think he's gotten used to people coming in and out and, and being a part of, you know, it's like I told him, you know, we're, we're telling your story as well. That's interesting because I don't know that I've ever really thought about a traveling ghost unless it's an attachment, right? So that's interesting to think that he can, that this spirit, according to Michelle, can, can move, can travel. I don't know why I've never really thought about that before. I've, I guess I've only ever thought about um, ghosts as attachments to certain locations or 
um, certain people. So that is a new concept for me. And that's very interesting. I'm going to be thinking about that tonight. What areas of the house do you feel like are most active? And is there anything specific that stirs up that activity? The two upstairs rooms tend to be um, more active than the two downstairs rooms. Um, when someone comes and says, I don't want to be in a room where a ghost is, I usually put them in the hip and burn room, which usually doesn't have much activity at all. We have two little kitty cat ghosts and they're seen a lot. You hear them meow, they'll brush up against your legs. They'll oh, wow. I like them because I don't have to buy kitty litter. <laughs> that is so cute. I love the idea of a cat ghost. This is not the first time that we've heard of a cat ghost. There's been a few other times where there was a cat ghost, but I I really love that. We had a wedding where a young boy came to stay as a ring bearer, and he was down in the Conway room. And they came to table the next morning and said, Miss Michelle, what's the name of your kitty cat? And I, I said, which one? He says, the dark gray one. And Grandma goes, yeah, he was upstairs in our room too last night. I said, well, um, we don't have cats. And they're wow. like, oh, we saw it. I said, yeah, I know, but it's it's a ghost cat. It's not it's not a real cat. We wow. also have a little boy ghost named Jacob. Um, he he's a sweetheart. He's all over the house. He likes to get a rise out of the people upstairs. He'll jingle their doorknobs at night. He'll play ball upstairs. He'll roll a ball or bounce a ball upstairs sometimes. And he can be mischievous. He's he's five. We've got some really good EVPs talking with him. You are now listening to an EVP that was recorded in the Turner Room during Paranormal Nights with Southeastern Virginia Paranormal Investigations, taken October two thousand. So on October 30th, 2015, uh, we were in Belgrove Plantation doing Paranormal Nights investigation up in Carrie Turner's room, and we received this spirit box response uh, to a question. Can you tell me how old you are? Distinctly sounds like a kid saying five. We get a lot of activity. I mean, it's, it's, and, and as far as what brings activity or doesn't bring activity, I find that when we don't really do ghost tours or if we don't do a lot of paranormal stuff like through Christmas time or through November and December, mm-hmm. uh, we tend to find they, they start trying to make noises and stuff to get our attention. This is a plasma box EVP session from Thursday, July 26th, 2018, taken at Bell Grove. During the recording, you can hear several different voices. Can you tell me your name? Some of those voices belong to Michelle, Tina, and Tyler, who are the ones conducting the plasma box session. However, some of those voices don't belong to anybody else in the room. Are you afraid you're going to scare him? He doesn't want to be afraid of you. Yes, he did. That's what it said. Yes, he did. I didn't get that. Really? 
Depending up. I have to laugh because about four or five years ago, we actually had the house call 911 for a whole year. And, and the police department knows knows about us being haunted and stuff. But I, I started getting calls from the sheriff's department because somebody called 911 hung up from the house. Said, uh, well, there's nobody here to do that but me, and I didn't do it. And wow. it, would go, it would go every three months for an entire year, every three months, and then it would call three times, and then it would stop. And I, and they were like, Michelle, you've got to be calling this. It's coming from your house. I said, first off, I only have a cell phone here. I have no landline. I said, what number's calling it? And they told me it was a 540 number, area code. I said, well, I have a 757 number, so you're not gonna, it's not coming from me. So we jokingly say, well, the ghosts are calling the house. I'd gone away in January for my birthday. The entire house is shut down. There is not a soul here. The, set, the day after I left, when I was down in Charlottesville for my birthday, I get a call from the sheriff's department. They said, Michelle, well, we got a 911 call. I said, okay, um, there is absolutely nobody at that house. I'm not even there. It, it went on for a whole year, and then it just stopped finally. I finally said, look, guys, you got to stop it. They're going to start charging me for this. <laughs> um, Less than a month ago, I was coming out of my uh, restroom, carrying my phone into the to the bedroom, and all of a sudden, a, an alert went off on my phone. And this is this year. And I looked down at my phone, and my phone's dialing nine one one. And I'm going, uh, pull back. This can't be happening. So I, I quickly called the sheriff's department. And said I didn't. I didn't touch anything. I swear to God, it did, it went off all by itself. And, and of course, they came out and checked, make sure I was okay. But again, wow. You know, they do stuff like that all the time and it's like crazy that is freaky that is freaky i wonder because you think like okay the people who have died here probably died before 911 was invented so it's just weird to think of like ghosts as sentient beings that like can learn and manipulate their surroundings and move from location to location it's really more of like a an, an invincible person at that point rather than a ghost right do you think that it's a bunch of different spirits doing that? Or do you think it's Jacob? Or do you think it's like the house itself? Like the house has its own story? You know, I always laugh and say the house is happy. It's more so is the spirits that are here that make up the the being of the house itself. Um, we are right on the river. So we do have running uh, a lot of running water nearby, which conducts a lot of energy. As far as um, the house itself, I really feel like there's possibly a vortex or a gateway of some sort and we have spirits that come and go all the time uh, of course we have a lot of overnight guests that come and stay with us and because of that they bring people with them as well uh, so you know we may have one or two that will linger and I usually have to tell them you know you need to go home back, back home with your, your people because we got <laughs> here as it is most of the time you know like when we do uh, paranormal investigations and stuff mm -hmm. the likelihood of you having experience is more uh, greater than you not having an experience wow. Ghost. The first thing I will tell you, if you've never, ever seen a ghost, you're never, ever going to see one because you're just not wired that way. Right. So, of course, we have all the equipment when we do the paranormal investigations to show, you know, the ghost interacting with us. And we, of course, we have the EVPs and the pictures and stuff. I have got some really major pictures. But like I said, none of it to me is is scary. Uh, I've never I've only had three people leave the location because they got scared. Most of it is because they psyched themselves out before they even got here. You know, we've never had any anything malicious or anything like that happen. And, you know, everybody always says, well, you know, they point to the TV shows and stuff. And I said, well, you know, that's Hollywood. Right. We're reality. When you go ghost hunting here or go paranormal investigations, it's just like fishing. You throw your pole in the, in the water and you hope that you're going to get a bite. 
If you right. don't, it's just not your day. And so you, know, you have to look at it that way. But the, I've had a lot of paranormal investigators that have come and said, you know, they've gone to many locations and never had so much happen on a first time visit. If you want to share any pictures or anything like that, I would love to see them. I know our listeners would as well, but that that is so amazing. I have a question for you specifically. So as a medium or whatever you want to call it, someone who is sensitive to the other world, whatever you want to call it, um, do you feel like there's any sort of ritual or anything that you needed to do in order to protect yourself? Like, do you think these amulets and cultural or customs to cleanse or keep a space clean do you feel like those actually work i I think a lot of it has to do with the person that's using it and the person that's receiving it okay i can tell you that i don't smudge my house i don't run around with sage or anything like that for one reason i I don't want my ghosts to leave i like having them here right and and second because i don't like to smell sage (laughs) (laughs) do i have a cross in my room yes i have a cross Mm -hmm. that a rosary that i have around the bedpost of my bed it gives me comfort does it protect me i don't know it gives me comfort when i go to bed at night i always you know pray pray to god and, and i really love this because everybody that finds out that i can do what i do the very first thing is that i hear is that i'm in league with the devil and i'm like well you know since i was four years old yes me and the devil. <laughs> I, I look at it as, as actually a gift from god and i've been able to help people that have had some really bad situations that they needed some extra comfort um, from hearing from people that had passed on. I pray every night to God and, and, you know, uh, at the end of my prayer, I always ask him to send his angels down and have them surround my room, wingtip to wingtip. Spirits to please leave my room and allow me to sleep tonight so that I can have a good day tomorrow. And I always ask the angels if they want to come back in, just say, no, not now. And, Mm. you know, and that just gives me comfort. I, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, anything that anybody else does uh, is is not uh, a right thing to do. I think it all depends on the individual and what that comfort level is for them. You know, if they need a, a crystal, if they need an amulet, if they need anything to give them comfort in what they're doing or, or you know, confidence or whatever, I think it's important that they have it. I mean, it's it's I'm not going to say, no, you shouldn't be doing that or no, you should do that. Now, will, will you see me outside doing, you know, with the rights? Nope. Probably not. I don't. I don't judge people for way they the way they believe, and, mm-hmm. and like I said, it has a lot to do with just the individuals and their their comfort level and their their spiritual growth and where they are in their lives. I totally agree with that, and yeah, I, I just wanted to thank you so much for giving us your time. Your energy yourself is so comforting. Like I feel like just so peaceful, you know, with you. So I, I think that, um, what you're saying about comfort being so important is probably broadcasted out through you into the spirits as well. Like they know it's kind of like a safe space. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things I always say about this house, um, it took me 412 days to negotiate all the contracts and everything to get into this house. Wow. I would come up and I lived two and a half hours away. I would come up for an hour to spend an hour here. And every time I would come across the bridge, across the Rappahannock Bridge going into um, the location where we are, um, I would feel this electric charge. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm coming back to where I need to be. And this is this is important. And, um, and uh, you know, the house, I, it's amazing. It has a very warm feel to it. I have people that come and spend the night with me and, and say, oh, my God, I just don't want to leave. It's just such a, a warm and inviting spirit that's mm-hmm. here. 
and and that's what I want to you know to keep it at. I, I honestly will tell you we don't do Ouija boards, we don't do seances because as I tell everybody, it's not that I don't believe in them and I don't think they're good or bad. Um, I just don't need any extra spirits. I already have enough. <laughs> right, right. You've got a full house, and but they're all really wonderful spirits, and you know you just never know who's going to pop in. Mm -hmm. I'll give you one more quick story, and I'll send you a picture, and it's going to blow your mind. I had um, a, a death in my family in 2019. My father passed away. I'm sorry to hear that. No, thank you. 14 days later, my husband's father passes away. Mm -hmm. Both fathers die within a week, two weeks of each other. Wow. It happened in July, uh, 2019, right at the beginning of the month is when my dad died. He died on the third and I was right in the middle of getting ready to buy tickets to go see queen in concert. Oh. I am a huge Freddie Mercury fan. I absolutely right. adore Freddie Mercury. I, I asked the guy if he could just hold the tickets because it was an emergency. I had to go. My father, my father committed suicide very oh. quickly. So by the end of the month, my husband asked me, uh, Michelle, do you still want to go see Queen? I said, well, you know, Brian May and Roger Taylor in their 70s. Mm -hmm. and likely and touring again is going to be very nil. And so this is my last chance. I've already missed Freddie. I don't want to miss them. Mm -hmm. So uh, we ended up going. And the guy that I bought the tickets from, I bought gold tickets, which got me in early, got me in on the first, second, third row. I had to go shopping and go to the reception, all this really cool stuff. Wow. He called me just before we left. And he said, Michelle, I want to do something special for you. I want to upgrade your tickets for you. And I said, okay, but I have gold tickets. The only upgrade to that is ultra VIP. He said, yeah, that's what I'm giving. And wow. I was like, oh my gosh, that is amazing. That's really what I wanted, but they're like $5,000 tickets. So um, I got everything that I was supposed to get, except I didn't set first, second, third row. I sat on the stage with the band. Wow. Amazing thing. Oh, it was great. I, great, great, great. I love the concert. But I came home and I was, of course, telling everybody how wonderful the concert was. But I was lamenting over the fact that I had not got to see Freddie. Mm -hmm. You know, that was one thing that I missed that I will never have a chance to get. And so two weeks after we had done this concert, some ladies had come and had afternoon tea with us. And they toured the house, took pictures and and left. And um, a couple of days later, I get a call and, and the lady says, Michelle, you really got to look at this picture. I said, Okay. She sent it to me and I was dumbfounded. The picture is of the upstairs window in the Madison room from the river side of the house. The curtain in the picture is completely closed. We have white backings on our, on our curtains. There's a reflection in the window of the side porch, which is a dark triangle. It looks like someone's pulling the curtain back, but it's not. In the window is Freddie Mercury. Are you serious? Dead serious. I'll send you a copy of it. It'll blow what? you Oh my gosh, I can't wait to look at this. Can we put this photo on our Instagram to show our listeners or should I keep it private? You can show it, I don't care. Oh, wow, this is amazing. You can see his wife beater, you can see his thick mustache, his hair. I mean, it's just, you can't, you can't mistake it. I mean, it looks just like him. Wow. So, you know, I was very excited and I, you know, was telling everybody, oh my God, look, Freddie Mercury came to see me. <laughs> Yeah, you know, why in the world would he come to see me? Because, you know, he never was here. You know, why, why would he ever, ever come here? And I said, okay, here's the one of the one of the two reasons. One, he, I would I had lamented over him for so so long that he finally came to see me, or my father found him and said, Hey, I messed up. Go see my daughter. So <sighs> I thought, so he'll never come back to see me ever again. No, I, he's come back twice since then. Inc incredible, first of all. You could not predict what was going to come next 
So uh, he's made himself known twice. One time I had someone give me an album, uh, News of the World. I keep it on my mantelpiece tucked behind a, a, a very large, heavy clock. I came in one night. I had gone to dinner. I was by myself at home. I brought my dinner into my room. It wasn't anywhere except where it was supposed to be. Went in the kitchen to get some of the drink. Came back in my bedroom, and the album sitting in the middle of the floor face up. Well, then also, um, I went out to the caretaker's house um, one time to get some measurements for something, and I took my car over because I needed to to go somewhere, and I left it running because it, it was very hot outside. I wanted to cool it off, but my radio was off, and I was in the house measuring something, and all of a sudden, I heard a voice, and I said, that sounds like someone trying to talk to me. Mm. No, that's a radio. That's Freddie Mercury. Okay, we don't have a radio in this house. Um, so I go outside and my car radio had flipped over from Cirrus to the CD player. And Queen, of course, was in my CD player. And the radio um, volume was completely all the way up. Wow. I'm like, okay, I got it. You're here. I got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that is so cool. Email, I just sent it to you. Oh, you did? Okay. Did you, let me Let me find it. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah, this is wild. This really is crazy. It looks just like him, doesn't it? It does look just like him. That is so crazy. Now, the curtain is completely closed. It is not open at all. The triangular space that you see, the dark space, right. which is reflecting in the window. So where Freddie's face is, it should, yeah. it should be dark. Oh my gosh. Okay, you guys, you, you got to go to our Instagram at Let's Get Haunted and look at this picture because it I think that's Freddie Mercury. <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, Michelle, it has been so lovely to talk to you. Is there anything else you would like our listeners to know before we go? Oh, no. I, let's all go come over to Belgrove and get haunted. The best way to, I guess, get all the information about Belgrove would be to go to your website, which is belgroveplantation.com bellgroveplantation.com and remember bell is b-e-l-l-e now i will tell you there are two bell groves in virginia there's one in king george and one in middletown and they're both related to james madison so you want the bell grove that is in king george the other one is a national park we're actually a privately held home we hope to see you at bell grove soon all right thank you we hope to see everybody I couldn't wait to show Allie the Freddie Mercury in the window. If you guys want to see it, go to Let's Get Haunted on Instagram. First of all, it looks like, I mean, it's definitely a man. It's definitely a dude in a window. But the question remains as to why would Freddie Mercury be at this house? I mean, Michelle did mention that this was a very important symbol in her life and her father had just passed. Does she have a strong enough connection to the other side that she could will something like that into existence or even be able to perceive that? Are things like that happening all around us? Are we constantly being sent signs from our loved ones and just never noticing? This got me wondering, what about our perceived personality traits? The music that we like, the art that we listen to, when we suddenly want to change our hairstyle, or we just have an inkling that we really like the taste of something for no reason. Is that because there are people on the other side planting those sort of symbols and signs in our lives? Certainly a lot to think about here. I'm now thinking like, is this house, and she sort of touched upon this where she was saying like, is there must be like a portal nearby or like some energy vortex. Like 
straight up, I think this house was accidentally built on like a portal to the next world because it's the only thing that makes sense. First of all, 83 ghosts living in this house and then Freddie Mercury just stops by. I kind of got the feeling that she had been tied to this house in a past life somehow. Like, what are the odds that she runs this business so well and she has the skills to not only run a bed and breakfast that's historical, do the research that she needed to do to get through that, go to all those civic meetings, go to those historical meetings, get out a radar, find a colonial road, but she can also see and talk to spirits and she's helped some of those spirits from that house move on or find peace in the afterlife. I mean, what are the odds? Yeah, I was thinking that too. Like she she was called to this house. She said that every time she visited the house, which it took her 400 and something days to negotiate the sale or the the renting or whatever of this house. It took her over 400 days. And every time that she stepped across the property line, she felt an electric charge and she feels drawn to it. She's not scared of any of these 83 ghosts, even the angry one that like makes her cry. She's not even scared of like, there's something going on. There's something more to this story. Michelle, first of all, thank you so much to Michelle for coming on this episode. Very illuminating, very eye-opening. I have never heard many of the things that she's talked about. Um, like, ghosts being able to call 911 and like cross over to different locations that is a new concept for me I find that very interesting I wonder if she even agrees like there is something more going on like she is drawn to this location for a reason in her past life was she somehow tangentially related to this location I don't know well I'm glad you're thinking about this so let's talk about some of the theories so the first theory is going to be a curse the evidence to support this theory is that Belle Grove switched families many times. And in some instances, misfortune and death even followed the exchange of the property like almost instantly. Oh, wow. Remember one of those original families had like several deaths back to back in the home? Additionally, what are the odds that the majority of the records would be lost in fires during the Civil War and then also whatever was remaining would be lost again in a different fire not even on the property? Seems haunted as fuck. Like, is this house sentient? Is Belgrove preserving itself? Is it located on an energy vortex? Is the house itself alive in some way? Mm -hmm. Like, kind of like when we did the... um, uh oh my god the one that just got made into a netflix series uh, series the, that we the had watcher yes thank you yeah the it reminds me sort of of the house in the watcher where you're not really sure who's calling the shots is it some sort of spirit living within the walls or is the house itself forming some sort of sentience mm-hmm. yeah So the next theory we have is the stone tape theory, which we are familiar with because we've talked about it before. But in case we have some new listeners who have never heard about it, I am just going to go ahead and let you guys know what Wikipedia has to say about the stone tape theory. According to Wikipedia, quote, stone tape theory is the speculation that ghosts and hauntings are analogous to tape recordings and that mental impressions during emotional or traumatic events can be projected in the form of energy, which is then recorded onto rocks and other items and then replayed under certain conditions. T.C. Lethbridge, who believed that ghosts were not spirits of the deceased, but were simply non-interactive recordings similar to a movie. The stone tape theory could also be derived from the concept of place memory. In the early days of the Society for Psychical Research, 
place memory was considered an explanation for ghostly apparitions seemingly connected with certain places. In the late 19th century, two of the SPR, Society for Cyclical Research investigators, Edmund Gurney and Eleanor Sedgwick, presented views about certain buildings or materials being capable of storing records of past events which can be later played back by gifted individuals. Another 19th century idea associated with the stone tape theory is psychometry, which is a belief that it's possible to obtain knowledge about history associating with an object through physical contact with it. In the 20th century, the idea that objects are able to store and play back past events was reintroduced in 1939 and 1940 by the then SPR president H.H. Price. Price speculated that the psychic ether was an intermediate medium between spiritual and physical reality, which can enable objects to carry memory traces of emotions or experiences from the past. An archaeologist turned paranormal researcher T.C. Lethbridge claimed that the past events can be stored in objects thanks to fields of energy that he believed surrounded streams, forests, or mountains. That is super interesting to me because we know that this house is right next to a river. There are some similarities there. There are some things that could line up. The next theory, portal or a vortex. According to an article that was written July 28th, 2020 for higgypop.com entitled, What is a Paranormal Portal or Vortex? Quote, in the paranormal world, a portal is believed to be a gateway to another plane of existence. It links the physical world we live in to the plane of existence that ghosts and demons inhabit, the spirit world. Sometimes referred to as an energy vortex or simply a vortex, these places allow spirits and other supernatural entities to pass through our world and are therefore often blamed for an increase in paranormal activity. In fact, cases of this nature are specifically referred to as portal hauntings. The idea of a portal to another dimension is nothing new, but there is a massive mix of opinions on what a vortex is, how it opens, and how it behaves. Some say that a portal can open and close in the blink of an eye, allowing something to slip through. Others claim that there are permanent active portals in their properties. Yeah, portals are are interesting. I that's what I don't know. I don't know which one I'm leaning more towards so far, but I think the portal might be the one I'm leaning towards. A lot of people believe that portals open near a body of water, and some people say that the water is what allows a portal to open. There's links between portals and bridges too. Interesting. Super super crazy. Yeah, so I mean, which theory do you believe? Stone tape is always going to be one of my favorites, just because I think the idea of being able to recover history after the fact is really cool. Like you were talking about in the beginning, we don't know a lot about this house and its history because people came in and and took it over, soldiers took it over, or maybe different areas were destroyed or records were destroyed. Um, And so the idea that you could recover some of that lost history is really cool to me. So if Michelle is able to, like you were saying in the theory of the stone tape, some, one one facet of that theory is that a certain type of person has to unlock the recording. And so if she has the ability to unlock that recording and then write it down for us, is it possible that we could recover some of that lost history? I think that that would be a good use of time. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> Two, I have no way to prove this, but this is just something that comes to mind. What if they gave this land to these people because they were like, it's fucking haunted. Like, we don't want any of that shit. I mean, who is to say? 
that is how I feel about this episode. Who is or to perhaps say? a curse was formed when they unlawfully took that land? You know, like something weird is going on here. And no matter what you believe, it all goes back to haunted. All signs point to haunted. Yes. All signs point to haunted. And as Michelle said so aptly in her interview, there are different levels of hauntings, right? Everything is haunted. It's just a matter of, you know, how haunted. So I definitely think 83 ghosts is a new threshold that I don't think we have ever seen before. I've never heard of 83 individual ghosts being in one location. So this is definitely dare I say, one of, if not the most haunted houses I've ever heard of, because 83 individual spirits. I mean, that's an that's an accolade yeah, right it there. Is. It is. Well, thank you so much for coming along on this haunted journey. Yeah, thank you so much. Would you like to do our sign off? Yes, thank you very much, Natalia. Excellent episode. I learned a lot. I heard a lot of new concepts that I'm going to have to think about late at night when I have insomnia. <laughs> BRB got to go summon Freddie Mercury into our office and get him on the show. Yeah. Bye. Bye.